In the name of the God of the whirlwind. Amen. You have to love today's readings. The passage from Job is among my favorites in all of Judeo-Christian scripture. It's the climax of the primordial why bad things happen to good people, a wisdom story that goes right to the heart of those cutting but perennial questions about evil and good and suffering and human humility in responding to all of these things in our lives. Existential questions that defy easy, pat answers and leave us uncomfortable because they remind us of our vulnerability, our fragility, our contingency. Job, as many of you will remember, for all of his faith, gets a very raw deal, loses essentially everything, and pleads the injustice of all of it. And after 35 chapters of Job sitting in ashes, kvetching, and resisting the temptation of friends to swear off both his honor and his faith, God at last shows up in a tempest. And God's opening response to Job's great existential questions, for all of its divine poetry, boils down to this. Excuse me? Who are you? But I chuckle most at the way God's words to Job began. Get up, gird up your loins, and in language that is fully recognizable to us millennia after this ancient story was put to paper, be a man. For all of our efforts in the liberal West and indeed the liberal church to be filled with mercy and sympathy, this is a bracing message and a bracing image of a God of love. In our cultural language, even as we continue to wrestle our way out of the traps of patriarchy and its more narrow and clear-cut definitions of what it means to be a man or a woman, we are asked in no uncertain terms to grow up by all three of today's readings. Not just be a man, but be men and women together. To grow up as God asks Job to grow up. There is little room for whining and complaining. Well, perhaps there's a lot of room if you take the proportions of the book of Job at face value. But as God tells Job today, it avails you little to whine. God still expects us to grow up. For the church in Corinth, a community that was small and probably swimming mightily against the tide of the prevailing culture, and with little, if any, backing from a deep faith tradition that we enjoy, this too is a bracing message from Paul, their spiritual guardian. We urge you not to accept the grace of God in vain, he tells them. It's a lovely way of putting it and perhaps a little bit more gentle than the the divine voice in Job today, but it's still just as passionate, and it's asking them to grow up and take responsibility for their faith. 
a faith which should not depend on what has happened or what might happen or what will happen, good, bad, or indifferent. And just to drive the point home, he delivers a laundry list of what the saints have already endured, commending the Corinthians to a truer faith, a deeper one than they have held thus far. And then there's the gospel. This beloved one from Mark, worthy of countless paintings and icons and stories across the centuries. Beloved, but mystic and mysterious. It's a classic example of Mark's favorite way to pose questions to the faithful. And so we might be startled that Jesus is not more affirming of the disciples' apparent faith, that apparent faith that enabled them to wake him and ask for his help. That's faithful, isn't it? Isn't that what we're supposed to do when we're in trouble? But Jesus is unimpressed, maybe even a little bit disdainful. The story poses in that way a much deeper question. It challenges a faith that simply relies on the habit of asking for help. Is it faithful enough just to expect God to shield us or at least rescue us from suffering? Is it faithful in the vernacular to pop the God pill when the going gets rough? Is that faith? In a way, we want a more sympathetic Jesus when it comes to our fears and worries. We want somebody who shows up for us when we call upon him. We want somebody who says to us, it's okay, place the bets, but they only need to be safe. And if you place bets in life that are reasonable, that's okay, even if they don't work out. And we respond, thank you, Jesus, I'll take the boat with the big engines and the big anchor and the metal gunnels, thank you very much. The boat that will shield me from the storm. Maybe a few armaments for good protection. And it needs to be insured to the hilt, guarded with the best. But that is the way of the world. That is not the way of faith. Fortunately or unfortunately, the way of faith is not about being hemmed in by a God who protects us or shields us from the plights of life. Rather, it is about growing up, of becoming more vulnerable, not less, of offering more in the way of Christ Jesus. When we baptize Tess Flager today, we are not baptizing her into perpetual childhood, but into a life of faith. Here she comes. A life of faith that will not simply grow with her, but challenge her and invite her to grow through all the bumps and turns of the journey ahead. We are baptizing her and acknowledging the grace that we step into or stumble upon when life is hardest and Jesus seems asleep in the back of the boat.
Baptism, I always warn parents, is not like purchasing salvation insurance. Nor is it a quick ticket to success in life or a get-out-of-suffering-free card. We are not talking about spiritual monopoly here. And actually, that's a good thing if you think about it for very long. Formulaic faith doesn't work very well, and if you try it for very long at all, well, it ends up posing more problems and dead ends than open and life-giving paths. True faith is about relationship that turns stony hearts into fleshy ones, that calls us into the depths of mystery in relationship with this strange and marvelous God who laid the foundations of the cosmos of our lives, of our being, who summons us out of darkness and out of our own self-centeredness and into the light of truth who teases us out of trying to play God ourselves, who hooks us with a message of comforting love and then reminds us that love is not at all about comfort, but self-giving, learning to give with a growing humility that expects nothing in return, but instead learns to live in hope. That God who runs ahead of us, paving the way, even if the roadmap to us is completely inscrutable. The God who rides with us in the boat, even through the worst of storms. We welcome Tess this day into that life and wonder. Our promise, no guarantees of an uneventful journey. In fact, probably quite the opposite. In fact, Tess and her family have learned already in the Christian way to expect the unexpected. Tess's very presence with us this morning is witness to that. No, our promise is no more, but no less than a promise to walk with her and grow closer and more deeply on the journey into that full stature in Christ to grow up with her in faith. A faith that is ever pointing Godward towards our salvation and born on the wings of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.